0: Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with multi-passionate women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and managing life in the modern world. So grateful to be with you today and I am really grateful to have had this conversation with our next guest who is just a beam of sunshine. Alicia Ochoa is also a local Southern California girl um, and I met Alicia I think two years ago. Uh, I went to an event an event that she was hosting and just fell in love with the the space that she created for all of these women to come together. I loved her energy. Um, and I'll be very honest. We had not really talked since that event. We hadn't really seen each other since then, but we'd followed each other on social media and, um, just coming into 2020, I had a few women that kept popping into my mind and just thinking, you know, I need to reach out to this person. I need to get to know them. I don't know why I'm feeling compelled to do this, but she was one of them. And so I reached out to her and lo and behold, she was kind of having the same thought too. And so I said, well, before we even grab coffee, just come on the podcast so that we can have a really honest, vulnerable conversation where I can ask you questions that I don't know about you. And um, that way the audience has a chance to really get some insight for themselves too. Um, And so she did. And we had the best time talking. Alicia is a San Diego based creative and community builder. Her genuine curiosity and desire to learn has provided her with experience in everything from art to business development and software management to building communities. And this is something that I really love talking about in our conversation today. You know, she's just pivoted so much in her life. And I just really, really am so inspired by how she's been able to do that and really stayed in integrity with why she makes these choices. You know, we talk about a lot of different career moves that she's made on top of struggling with different issues around food and mental health and body and family things and relationships in general. And Just a lot of life pivots and things. It's a very honest conversation. Um, She is also currently developing a project called Honey Shine, which is a digital platform for creative explorations. And other projects include the Boss Babes Brunch Club, which is the event that I was telling you about at the top of this introduction. And also has collaborated with Not Without Dirt by... A lovely San Diego lady, as well. And in her free time, she loves to cook. She practices yoga, which we talk about in this conversation. She's also um, gone through yoga teacher training, and we talk a lot about how that affected her relationship with her body and food and all of those things. She also loves to explore nature and relax at home with her partner, Colin, and their cat, Alice. Isn't that the cutest name, Alice, for a cat? Anybody who is a cat lady, you know how much I love cats, especially fluffy cats. And so I'm automatically a fan if you do. All right, loves. Here is the conversation with Alicia. I hope that you enjoy. Continue.
1: Um, So I was just saying that the community of women in San Diego is super incredible in regards to networking and supporting each other. And it's been really interesting because I've seen it from two perspectives. I've seen it from the perspective of, um, being an independent woman who's trying to figure out how to navigate whatever project she's working on. Right. Or how to figure out what resources she needs or figure out how to get a new job or figure out like, Hey, someone, can you please, um, edit X, Y, and Z for me? Right. Or do you have this resource for me? Can you connect me with someone in marketing? Um, Simultaneously, I've also seen it from a different perspective because I ran Boss Babe's Brunch Club for a couple years, which was a social networking organization for female entrepreneurs and creatives, which is actually how we met, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and through that, I saw a, like kind of the back end of everything of how to get these women to start networking, and also to be like, I may not know this person, but that doesn't mean I need to be intimidated to reach out to them, like. Mm-hmm. If I want them to come speak to me at my event, I'll just ask them. Yeah. They say no, you know, or, hey, I've heard that you're really good at X, Y, and Z through so-and-so or through the grapevine. I'm not positive that's true, but I thought you might be a good person for me to connect with, or maybe you can connect me with someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. And most of the time, people are pretty responsive to that stuff if you just ask, but they can't read your mind, so you've got to do it.
0: Absolutely. And it's such valuable feedback for any woman who is feeling like they don't have the courage to reach out.
1: Right, right. Because like, imagine if it were you, right? Imagine if somebody randomly reached out to you and they were like, hey, I heard you might be really great at your skill. (laughs) Yeah. You You would be like... Wow that's such a compliment even if I don't have the bandwidth right now that's cool that they reached out to me in the first place so maybe I'll connect them with someone else 100%
0: you know yeah i definitely want to dig into this even more there's actually so many things that i want to talk to you about i was really excited about this interview oh, great okay yeah <laughs> let's ask play yeah well because i feel like we know each other but we don't like really know each other and like i said i was you were on my mind coming into this year. You just were somebody that I kept thinking about. I don't know why I had another woman in my life who I had the same feeling about. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, I just need to reach out to them because I feel like or we need to be
1: algorithms because we both stalk each other on Instagram. So
0: Probably. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I guess that would have something to do with it, but, um, Yeah, maybe you're right, but I don't know. I just kept thinking like, oh, I need to reach out to you to get to know you more. And so I love that we're having this conversation because we know each other, but there's so many things that I don't know about you that I'm really excited to just get to know and share with the rest of the world. So,
1: Right. And either way, kind of to my point of like, yes, maybe it is algorithms, but the other point is that we still took an interest in each other because I was still looking at your Instagram regularly and maybe you were looking at... I'm at my story, like you were popping up for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And then technology was just helping us with that process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The blessing and the curse of social media <laughs> yeah. for sure. It's a whole other tangent. Um, let's dive in if that's cool. I know we've already kind of gotten started, but I, I love starting out by asking the question, do you remember your first body awareness moment? So what was the moment where you really realized, I'm in a body and this means something in the culture and the society that I live in?
1: Right. So I'm not sure if there was a, a specific moment, but I was a competitive dancer for over 20 years. Mm. And so I grew up in a culture Well, granted, it was I was a competitive dancer, but it wasn't like make it or break it. This is my entire life Mm -hmm. type situation. Um, But I I remember growing up and seeing other girls who had longer legs or who were leaner, who uh, um, were just skinnier than I was.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And I must have been maybe seven is what I'm guessing when i first like made that recognition and i don't think that it really hit me until middle school that it was like actually a negative impact for me mm-hmm. like the other when i was younger it might have been like oh this is an acknowledgement that i'm making but then in middle school um oh my gosh i will never forget these these two boys called me bubble butt and my oh, you're just so hurt. And now, if somebody called me Bottle, bottle butt, I'd be like, "Oh, thank you."
0: <laughs> right? You know, yeah, like
1: I, my butt is bodacious.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> when I was when I was 11, it was just um, I remember being super insecure about it, and one of the reasons I, th- I think another reason why that insecurity happened later is because I was homeschooled until I was 11. Mm. And so I wasn't – I was around a dance culture, but I wasn't necessarily around a bunch of boys and girls all the time every day at a public school.
0: That's so interesting. So your your interpretation of women's bodies was very narrow because you were being exposed to really only one type of body.
1: Right. And I also will say um, – My childhood, especially as I look back on it as an adult, was pretty complex. Mm. Um, At the time, it seemed lovely, right? And looking back, you kind of see like, oh, this is kind of strange. This is kind of strange. This is kind of strange in regards to our like regular social standards and constructs. Um, But growing up, my mom also struggled with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And so she had a very limited perspective of how her body should look but she did a good job of not perpetuating that onto, um, her kids, you know? So she would be like, Oh, all I need to eat today is like a cup of beans with cheese and maybe some coffee. And she'd be like, Oh, but make sure you eat enough to sustain yourself.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. So, and you're from Southern California, right?
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm from San Diego, so I was born and raised in Oceanside.
0: Okay, and was it just you and your mom growing up? Was your dad a part of the picture too?
1: So um, a very brief overview of kind of my relationship with my parents is my parents were together my entire life. I have um, three older siblings. I'm the youngest of four, and the age difference, my oldest sister is eight years older than I am.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Right.
1: And so um, my parents were super young by the time I was their fourth kid, and my mom was 27 when she had
0: What? Oh, wow. That's super young. Yeah.
1: They were just kind of thrown into um, responsibility of raising four kids in a very quick and short time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And... During that era, it wasn't as uncommon to have kids that young, but that was still a little bit um, shocking. Right. I
0: I think that's so interesting that you said that, just to kind of comment on that quickly, because you're so right. Like, that's kind of like the When Harry Met Sally era, Mm -hmm. era, right? And there were plenty of couples having kids in their early 20s, like your parents, and then there were plenty of couples not having kids until their thirties, you know. And so I feel like it's that right. weird dichotomy of that era of, you know, there like, wasn't. Where is that? From? Yeah, because it was um,
1: of maturity as an adult in order to raise another human.
0: Totally. So many, so many thoughts on that and questions. But anyways, continue. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. And
1: so... So my mom homeschooled us all growing up we got the choice of going to a public school whenever we wanted and i went to public school it was a public charter school out in vista about 20 minutes away um, when i was starting at 11 and it was really small um, my sister my oldest sister was part of their second graduating class and i think they had 13 people when I graduated 18 years or eight years later, there were 88 students in the wow. graduating class. Wow. Yeah. So it was a small community. Um, and then I went on to a local state university, Cal State San Marcos. And um, during my, my college years, my mom started experiencing a lot of mental health issues. And then when I was 22, 22. Yeah. Um, my parents got a divorce. And so I had a very, um, a very, what I thought was like kind of weird, like hippie ish childhood all growing up. And then as an adult that transitioned a lot and all of our relationships shifted pretty drastically. Mm -hmm. Um, and It was almost like my prominent caregiver growing up was more my mom, whereas my prominent caregiver now or my parent now is my dad. Interesting. So it was a complete um, switch.
0: Wow. And they're still local.
1: So my mom lives out in Arizona and my dad lives in, uh, he lives about 10 minutes away from me.
0: Okay. So, so interesting, Alicia. Um, So... I I want to learn more about that. I also want to go back to what you said about being in middle school and getting a comment like that from your peer, like these guys, as well as being in a household with a mom who was, you know... Coming out of an eating disorder, possibly still struggling with some eating disorder tendencies, things like that. So, hearing a comment like that—if I'm hearing you—if I'm hearing you correctly—that was kind of like your first moment of, "Oh, I like, I am supposed to do something about this." So, how did you react to that?
1: uh, It—it was there were I mean there was a couple like specific moments in my middle school that I that I remember Mm -hmm. of comments like that, and I think another one might. Um, might give a better description of how I would respond to such things um I also want to note that all of my sisters so my oldest sister studied women's studies in college Mm -hmm. and so I was um being taught about feminist ideologies from a very young age as well right so I'm like hardcore feminist through and through and in middle school I'm like oh yeah maybe I should start doing something about this but also you don't get to say shit about my body
0: Mm. right Mm -hmm.
1: and so I remember one um one time in English class this this kid said that I wouldn't ever amount to anything except for I'm a dancer so maybe I could hope to be a stripper on a pole one
0: day wow and I flipped
1: him off in the middle of English class and I was a very good kid and uh, then I was like, you never get to talk to me that way ever again, you know? And my teacher was like, Alicia, Julian, that is enough. Like, stop that. And I was like, he completely deserved it. And she was like, well, yeah, he did. And so
0: <laughs> it was
1: one of those things where I was pretty good about standing up for myself. Yeah. Um, but it was also one of those things where it's like, you don't mess with me in that way.
0: yeah. Yeah, I I love that so much. And I'm also so interested at the same time. I think it's one thing to have that type of reaction, that quick response of like, you don't get to say this to me, this is crossing the line. And then also how that impacts us on a deeper level, more silently, where we don't really have to share with anybody, especially in that moment of how it's really if. Affecting us in our lives, so how how did it, if at all, kind of shape you or change you, or or just how did you respond more internally to something like that?
1: I think that it made me hyper aware of the fact that like women are consistently objectified, right? And so it made me aware that pretty much every action that I would take, um, could end up as a way to objectify me Mm -hmm. physically. Right. Um, And obviously it did impact me because I'm still telling this story today. If it didn't impact me, then it wouldn't be one of the first things that I remember of how my body image was uh, kind of structured throughout my childhood.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so while I'm not entirely sure if I have like a full grasp on all of the different areas that it hit, But I would say that it made me feel both insecure in my body and also insecure in my mind because it was showing me that even though I was a super smart kid who was an overachiever and checking off all of the the boxes, right, Um, I was still not being valued for that. I was Mm. only being objectified through my body and saying the only thing that I would be able to do is sell my body through objectification.
0: How were you responding with your social circle when you when you had that comment thrown at you? Like, were you telling your friends about this? Was it something you were talking about with your mom or your sisters, or were you more or less just kind of keeping it to yourself?
1: I I definitely talked about it. Um, I remember telling my the woman who would we would carpool with her. And she was, like, a a very good Christian woman, and I told her, and her face was just, like, pure shock,
0: Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Um, I don't necessarily remember the specific conversations with my sisters because I think that if I were to tell, like, like looking back on it, I think that if I would have told my sisters, they would have been like, oh, yeah, well, that's such bullshit, you know, not to internalize that, even though I already was. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that was a a conscious decision for my young teen self, but looking back on it, I I think I can hypothesize that's correct.
0: Well, it's, it's hard to not, I mean, that's such an impressionable age, regardless of any type of like feminist ideology or messaging that you're getting from your peers or, or family. I mean, that comments like that that's why I'm so interested in this time and it's a consistent through line with a lot of the women that I speak to middle school is just like this breeding ground for how we are told to speak about our bodies or feedback we're given about our bodies or how we are coming into our relationship with our bodies and things like that so it's it's so interesting It, it it really is so personal how we hear things and how we ch- choose to respond to them at that point in our life.
1: It's also super interesting for me because I have, um, I have my dad remarried and I have two little step siblings and they are both, um, they're 10, 11. And so I'm like wondering how, how do you navigate that with them? You know, yeah. how do you make sure that you are, um, you're not saying any de- anything detrimental, you know, um, and I think that I do a pretty good job about it. But there's also, you know, that when you look back at your childhood, there is something that one adult said one time that sticks with you for life, and they had no idea that it was going to be so impactful, in a negative or a positive way.
0: Sure. You know.
1: And so how do you be conscious of that as kind of a role model for these kids?
0: I think about this all the time. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: And so then you say, maybe you don't say anything about their physical appearance at all. Maybe you say, oh my gosh, you look so strong. Or, oh, how do you feel in your body? But like, if you're saying you look strong, then what if they're actually feeling really weak? Mm -hmm. Like. Or when they are feeling really weak, then they're thinking, "Oh well, I'm not strong right now." Yeah, you know, there's just so many. It, it's there's so many different little things that you can trip over during this process. But it's definitely something I'm trying to be conscious of.
0: Yeah, it, it's it is such a tough conversation to have, and I, like I just mentioned, I do think about it a lot. Just the comments that we give to people of that age because it really, you know, you can have the best intentions or just not even an an intention at all, just really saying more of a a passive comment and it can land and really make such an impact. And so I really think it's, it's such an interesting conversation to continue to have, like, where do you let go of obsessing over that versus Mm -hmm. being super conscious of how you're actually choosing to give feedback or just any type of compliment or anything to someone. Right. You know what I mean?
1: And not only for for kids who are in middle school, but even... Um,
0: any age, really. At,
1: at any age, <laughs> yeah. Like, if you see a, someone who's, like, really branching out into their own level of adulthood... You know, that's also a really fragile state. Totally. Nobody told me that my early 20s were going to be so damn hard. You know what I mean? And so when I really think about my own personal kind of uh, story or, or path with body image, I would say that my body image was most challenged when I was in my early 20s rather than when I was an adolescent.
0: So that's that's interesting. What was? Can you share a little bit about that? That that um, moving into that chapter of your early twenties and how that did shift for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was in my early twenties, my mom started struggling with some mental health issues. Simultaneously, I. I had just graduated from college, and I slipped and fell and got a concussion, and I was diagnosed with a pituitary gland adenoma, which is a small tumor on your pituitary gland, which impacts your hormone production, right? I had also just lost my health insurance because I had graduated from college.
0: Oh, my and gosh. And
1: so it was, it was just a lot of things kind of all at once.
0: Um, what did you study in college?
1: Women's studies with oh, you- a double minor in art and dance. Okay. You know,
0: love. Really, uh,
1: I, I always wanted to be a, a, um, a teacher or a professor in some capacity. Um, and so my goal after college was to graduate with my degree and then go straight into a PhD program. Mm-hmm. And because I ended up getting diagnosed with this, I got, I ended up getting super sick mm. and, um, Part of that was because of the different medical routes that I took to try and like heal myself, ended up making me sicker. And so I ended up turning down a PhD program. Wow. Simultaneously, my mom was going through mental health issues. um,
0: Were you living by yourself?
1: I was living, I had been living in with some roommates and then because my medical bills were so expensive, I ended up moving back home. But when I moved back home, then I was also living with my mom. My dad worked out of town five days a week, and we were having our own kind of struggles.
0: Wow. Right? Just you and your mom?
1: Yeah. 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 All of my siblings had moved out by then.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I remember I was – I think that the first real kind of big challenge with my body image was this doctor gave me um, – He gave me some medication and it made me gain about 20 pounds in less than two months. And my skin just turned gray, right? Like I looked thick. From the medication? From the medication.
0: Wow. Was that a typical side effect? Yes. Oh my gosh. But
1: the problem was that if I didn't get my tumor to shrink, um, which I should also note that these tumors are, um, they're Mm non-cancerous. So it wasn't an issue of me having a cancerous tumor, but because of the size of the tumor, they were worried that it was going to start pressing on my optic nerve and make me go blind. And they were also, um, I was told that I was infertile, that I would, I was never going to be able to have kids.
0: And how old were you?
1: 22. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the entire beginning of like my medical history with all of this was really, um, poorly managed by our, our current medical, like through the doctors, they did not deliver any of this information. Well, basically. Um, and so I gained all this weight. I I wasn't, I couldn't exercise because if I, like, I remember trying to go on a really mellow hike and I almost passed out because I got so dizzy. Mm. Um, my skin was great, and I just didn't feel good. And I was also dealing with all of these struggles with my mom and our relationship and trying to help navigate her mental health crisis and get her help for that while also balancing since I was like the touch point at home, it was balancing my siblings and my dad and everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think that was really the first time where I was like, wow, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in my body in a, in a, in a, I've had health issues before I'm celiac. So I've had issues before where I'm not comfortable in my body in the sense of my body's not functioning properly, but it was the first time where it was like, I'm not comfortable in my body because of the way that I look and because of the way that I, because of society.
0: were you still dancing at this point at all? I had
1: just ended college, which was where I had continued dancing.
0: Okay. So this was a huge shift for you, it sounds like. Absolutely. Moving yeah. back in with your mom, letting go of this incredible passion that you've had in your life for most of your life, being diagnosed with this, all of these things happening at once. What was your social circle like at that point? Were you in a relationship or did you have your same group of friends? Or been,
1: I had been dating a guy since I was a freshman in high school. So we dated for nine years, and so when I was diagnosed with my tumor, that was in August, and then I think I broke up with him in maybe Mar- March, March mm-hmm. I think, of that year. So I also ended a nine-year relationship during that time.
0: Oh my gosh! Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a, a, a chaotic, very out of control feeling a part of my life right and so then I remember being pretty dang depressed and being like well I know that I've been be- been happy before so I also know that I can get there again and so how do I get there you know like what were the simple things like what are what are things that make me happy mm-hmm. you know and so I started drawing every day mm-hmm. and I started kind of um I I I switched medications and got on a different medication. Um,
0: did that have any side effects or did that lessen any of the, the side effects that you had from before?
1: It completely lessened the, awesome. uh, the side effects from before. And I, I started, like, I know that I feel good when I exercise. And so I started running and rock climbing a lot. And then I've also always done yoga throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I started doing more yoga and then what else? I feel like I'm missing like a couple key components of my life.
0: Um, Well, was this when you, I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page of the story. So 22, you received this diagnosis and this is kind of when all of these things happen. So when you started to really shift into more of these self-care activities and things that really just made you happy how long after was that were you still 22 or was that a couple of years couple months I
1: think it was probably I want to say it was when I was 23 so a year yeah about a year yeah um maybe a little bit less but a a year. I also want to backtrack. I think I kind of skipped over a pretty significant part of my life that is worth mentioning um, is when I was 19, I was, I started showing signs and symptoms of celiac disease.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that was another kind of um, shift for me regarding food and body image because I would go out to a restaurant and try to order something to eat, and they'd be like, you can have a salad except for with no croutons and no dressing, and that was like my only option, right? And
0: yeah. So, Let's talk about this. For, first of all, before we dive into that, how did you know, what were some of your symptoms that started to tell you something's not right and I need to get this checked out?
1: Well, part of, part of it is that um, celiac is a genetic disease, and quite a few of my cousins have it. Okay. So that was like a, a key, key feature to, for me to kind of be like, oh yeah, that is something that I should look into. Then what happened is um, I got really sick and my mom was like, well, maybe you should just try cutting out, like you're not feeling well, maybe you should just try cutting out gluten. And I was like, mom, nah, I eat bagels every day. I love croissants. Of course I'm not allergic to gluten. And she's like, just try cutting it out for two weeks and see if that helps. And then I couldn't eat it ever again. And like, it was so bittersweet because I feel so much better now. But at the time I remember being like, oh my God, no more croissants. And like, I still kind of feel that way. I still really miss that. I I think that's the one thing I miss is a croissant. Um, But I also know that I would never actually eat one because my body would attack itself.
0: Yeah. Can you explain celiac for everybody who's listening? Because I know it's kind of a Hot word right now, but a lot of people are confused by it. So, you
1: may not, not everyone understands exactly what that means. So, um, a a very kind of high level overview is I can't have gluten in my system at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm also really sensitive to cross contamination of gluten, and gluten can be found in things like everything, wheat, wheat, (laughs) barley, uh, soy sauce is a big one. Um, a lot of like processed foods with like, um, it, it's, it's just hidden in a bunch of ingredients. It can be in soups because they might use that to thicken it. So I can't have regular things like bread or flour tortillas or regular cookies. Um, and at the time that I was diagnosed, it was very hard to find good alternatives. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it's especially living in Southern California, it's pretty easy.
0: Wait a minute. What year? I I don't know if we're the same age. I'm 31. I'm 30. Okay, so we are around the same age. Oh, so this is interesting because this was right around the time that Miley Cyrus was diagnosed as celiac. Yes, like this is literally when it came on the scene, quote-unquote, of... gluten for everything. And I think it's interesting having this conversation being around the same age because you're somebody who actually experienced celiac Mm -hmm. and having a legitimate gluten intolerance. Whereas myself, I was struggling at that point in my life. I was struggling with bulimia and disordered eating and I was cutting out gluten. I have zero intolerance for gluten whatsoever, but I was you were like I shouldn't eat Absolutely. This. I was yeah. latching onto it like it was a diet because it was suddenly the thing that you should be avoiding.
1: Right, right. So um so basically what happens if I eat gluten is my my immune system attacks itself. My immune system attacks my body. It's an
0: autoimmune disease. Yeah.
1: And, and so that means that um either my digestion system will completely turn off. And I will be extremely constipated or I will have really gnarly diarrhea.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: depending on the scenario. Normally I'm like curled up in the fetal position. Can't move. Mm. Um, my brain gets super foggy. I also, my body is like very complicated. I also have chronic hives. So it makes my chronic hives a lot worse. Um, and I just ultimately feel terrible. That will last anywhere from, I would say, three to 10 days, depending on how much I get in my system. Wow. And so that means it's not like how much I get in my system, I'm going to eat a piece of toast. It's like how much I get in my system as was there a little bit of soy sauce mixed in with that other sauce that they told me was gluten-free.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah, and it's definitely. worth mentioning because I, I thank you, and I'm so sorry that you have to go through this, and you know it—it's a part of your journey. It's a part of who you are, but man, it sucks. I mean, it's just—it's yeah. so uncomfortable. But I—I I really appreciate you sharing how debilitating it is when you actually have this. Right. Um, I remember. In- it's not just an intolerance; like you are severely no. allergic,
1: right? It's um, and it's not even necessarily an allergy. It's literally your immune system attack, right? Um, I remember when I first started dating my boyfriend, and he—he's not. A, I'm slowly turning into him into a foodie, but he is not a foodie by
0: nature, <laughs> right?
1: And so he really had no idea what celiac disease was or what it entailed. And I remember the first time that I had a little bit of celiac or a little bit of gluten because we had gone out and gotten gelato and there were candied pecans in his gelato and I took a bite of it and didn't realize. And within like 20 minutes, I was like, yeah, I need to go home. And he was like, what? And I was like, I think I just had gluten. And I was like, well, good news. Like this isn't that much. I know what's happening this isn't super overwhelming for my system. I'll be fine probably, I'll be fine tomorrow and then I'll only feel symptoms for a few days. And he was like, are you dying? And I was like, no, 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 like I'm pretty okay. Like this is normal for me. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, this was just a very small amount of gluten. This is a very mild um, level of symptoms for me. And he thought that I was, like, completely incapacitated. And I was like, this is this the smallest amount that I can
0: have. That's crazy. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. Yeah,
1: and for other people, sometimes they end up in the hospital. I've never been mm-hmm. – I've never had cross-contamination or gluten to the symptoms, like, to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness. But, like, it's, it's a thing. It does happen.
0: Sure. Absolutely. How did this affect your relationship with your body and with food, like – when you first received the diagnosis and you had to start making some of these changes, how did that shift your reality?
1: Um, It shifted my reality. Um, So at the time I was working at a restaurant that was pretty health conscious. And so luckily I could eat there and that was pretty easy. You know what I mean? But the other thing that was actually really fantastic about it, which um, I don't think a lot of people would experience the same thing, is that it really helped me um, start to learn about food mm. in the sense that I, I was like, well, going to a grocery store, I can't really ask questions. So I started going to a local farmer's market, and I would talk to the farmers, mm. and I would ask them where their produce is coming from, um, what's in X, Y, and Z, what else do you prepare this with, things like that. So it really helped completely shift my um, my passion and love towards like good meals and food and cooking,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I still love to cook today. But um, I, I would say it did that in a very positive way. And then in a negative way, I think it was more of a mental challenge for me than a, than a um, than a physical one in regards to like my body, you know how so? um it was the mental was like you constantly have to be thinking about it mm. you know
0: mm-hmm. you,
1: it was just exhausting mm-hmm. um, but body image wise, I don't really feel like it impacted me that much.
0: That's thank you for sharing that. Have before this diagnosis, had yeah. you ever played around with dieting or anything?
1: No, I was a competitive dancer, so I was dancing so much that like dieting was never really a part of my consciousness. Yeah. Because I was exercising so much that I could eat whatever I wanted and still have a six pack.
0: Like yeah, I
1: remember going to breakfast and being like, "Oh yeah, I want this really great egg dish, and I also want French toast, a full order of it." Mm-hmm. And that's normal for me because my metabolism is so fast
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you can still see my abs through my shirt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Um, so
0: that's that's really interesting to me because a lot of women who I coach and I was this, you know, I was this way too when you're immersed in diet culture that consumes so much of your mental space. And so for you never really thank God, never really having that as a part of your life where that was really eating up your, your mind and just your thoughts now being faced with this, uh, you know, this new way of having to live your life with this gluten Yeah. And
1: it was a huge,
0: huge challenge. It just, it kind of moves right in and takes up all of the real estate in your mind.
1: Right. And I think that another thing that is important to recognize, um, at least from my understanding of kind of that eating disorder mindset is a lot of it has to do with control,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: Is you're trying to gain access to controlling some area of your life. Yes, And because food is an easily accessible thing to control because, You're really the only person who's experiencing it with every experience for you. Like your mom might see you at breakfast, but then she doesn't see you at lunch. And then maybe it's your dad who's seeing you at dinner, you know, like there's no consistency aside from yourself. Mm -hmm. It's easy to gain control of that. I also felt out of control at some points, but my way of navigating that looked like being a complete overachiever in school always doing every extracurricular being on all of the student governing boards um and being the competitive dancer as best to my ability as possible like I was controlling every other area of my life um with such discipline Mm -hmm. that like it, that, that mentality was still there, but it wasn't in regards to my food.
0: Interesting. So when you, when you started to experience like this gluten intolerance and then this, um, this tumor and everything that you were experiencing here, I mean, that's giving up so much of your power. That's giving up so much control. Uh-huh. And so how did that affect you?
1: Um, it was, it was so hard. It was so challenging. And, um, especially during the time when I was on that medication and I couldn't exercise, that was really hard for me too, because exercise has had always been one of my forms of therapy through dance.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: that's how I like emotionally expressed myself through dance and through art.
0: Absolutely. And it also sounds like without even realizing it, it was a way to stay in a smaller fit body, which I hear okay. a lot with dancers and gymnasts and swimmers. And, you know, a lot of these aesthetic sports, um, you know, we don't really have to think about, like, what's the alternative because we don't even really realize, like, that's just the reality. So how how did that change so- for you when you started Really
1: what ended up happening was, um, I, I specifically remember when I was working at that restaurant, I ended up working at that restaurant for about six years. Right. And a lot of the staffs was the same the whole way through. And I, I specifically remember being like, oh man, this woman is so slender and skinny. Like I thought I was in shape, but I'm not compared to her. You know, and so that's when that body dysmorphia kind of started to kind of kick in a little bit. Um, and then once I could start exercising, I started to run. And this was right after. Um, so I I dealt with, I, I was still in the process of working through my relationship with my mom and all her mental health issues and what that responsibility looked like. As well as my parents' marriage was super rocky, and I was still living at home.
0: Yeah. Um, And had you received the diagnosis at this point, too, for your tumor? Yeah.
1: So this is post-tumor diagnosis, post-celiac diagnosis, Mm -hmm. post-turning down grad school. Mm -hmm. My mom's mental health was slipping. Um, My parents' relationship was rocky, and then I ended my nine-year relationship.
0: Mm.
1: Right, Right? And so then I just started to run and really... At the time, it was like my form of uh, creating a mental space where I could process everything. Um, In hindsight, it was also a way... Sorry, there's a train that goes by my house. (laughs) Um, In hindsight, there's also a way for me to stay physically fit and feel strong, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember um, around... About six months later, I ended up moving in to an apartment with one of my best girlfriends, and we would go to the gym at, like, 5 a.m., and we would definitely, like, work out. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, all I need for breakfast is half of a protein bar. And I'd be like, I think that's wrong. <laughs> I'm going to have a full protein bar, but that's still only going to be my breakfast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, com- that competition. That certainly was not healthy, mm-hmm. you know? So I was not... I wasn't necessarily not eating enough in general, but I wasn't eating enough for the amount that I was exercising. Mm -hmm. But I was also highly aware of nutrition and the fact that my body needed it. So, um, and I, like, I, I remember seeing girls who were like, Oh, I only want egg whites. And I was like, that is zero nutrition for you. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing with that? you need to eat the yolk.
0: Mm -hmm. And they'd
1: be like, no, Alicia, that's where all the calories are. And I was like, and also nutrients.
0: Mm -hmm. But at
1: the same time, I still wasn't eating enough for the amount that I was working out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that, I think that once my life kind of gotten a little bit more control um, or like a little less chaotic, that balanced out pretty easily for me. Um, And then I ended up doing a yoga teacher training and the reason I went to yoga teacher training was essentially for therapy. I remember going to therapists and they like, weren't doing what I want. Like it, it wasn't working for me basically. And I was like, well, I feel serenity in yoga. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, well, yoga teacher training, I can either uh, go to therapy, which I know isn't working for me so far or I, and the yoga teacher training where I think this will work, and if it doesn't, like at least I'll get abs. Like that was the justification to myself, which isn't isn't great. But uh, luckily, the the therapy part of it did work.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting. I I think it's funny because I I'm a I went through yoga teacher training too. I'm a yoga teacher, and yeah. um, I don't even think like we didn't even do as much yoga as, at least in my training, like we did yoga, but we learned, like there was so much class time where we were literally just sitting and learning and absorbing. And so I feel I can totally see how you would think like, Oh yeah, we're all we're going to be doing is moving for like 12 hours a day. Was your program like that too, where it was a lot of, um, I, they're all so different, but was yours more movement or more education?
1: It was extremely education driven but it was also um, mandatory that we went to at least three classes throughout the week. Interesting. And then on the weekends, we would normally do anywhere from a two to four-hour practice.
0: Oh, okay. On
1: Sunday mornings.
0: Wow. And then that we would is... also
1: practice a little bit on Saturdays. mm mm-hmm. um, So the the structure of it itself was we would go to yoga teacher training every Saturday and Sunday. And then throughout the week, we had to take additional classes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But there was still a lot of exercise in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what was your relationship with your body during that time? And also um, what was going on with your, um, with your, else. yeah, like your tumor diagnosis and just like your, your relationships right. at home and everything.
1: So my tumor diagnosis, I finally was on a good medication, um, that was working for my body. I'm actually still on that medication. This was back in 2015. Um, They still told me that I was infertile, but I had really done a lot of work about that and, uh, kind of come to terms with it. And I was like, well, I know that I've always wanted to be a mother. So just because I won't have a biological kid doesn't mean that I won't be a mother. Yeah. And so I just did a ton of kind of, um, internal processing on that and it was hard, but it, it, I was okay, you know? Um, and then my parents, we're in the middle of a very sticky divorce. Mm -hmm. They were selling my childhood home. Like uh, everything else was pretty rocky, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I was, was I dating anyone? I think I was like casually dating a guy who refused to call me his girlfriend for eight months, Mm -hmm. you know, standard, uh, young 20 year old relationship communication. Sounds Uh, like it. Super, super (laughs) unhealthy. Um, but it, I remember it felt so nice to finally feel strong in my body and that like like it was functioning properly. Mm. You know, I think that my... And, and another thing that I think had a really positive impact for me was um, yoga balances your hormones, mm-hmm. right? And because my tumor... Was one being managed through medication, but two, I was. It impacts hormone production as well, and so my hormones were being naturally balanced through a Eastern approach, while simultaneously being balanced through a Western approach. Yeah, and that was a really fantastic setup for me. Um, and I I did end up losing quite a bit of weight through yoga teacher training. But I think that mostly it just felt good to feel strong, Mm -hmm. you know, and to have like a, a way to, a a focus outside of all of the chaos of my life,
0: Mm -hmm. you know. How did that weight loss impact you? Do you think that it was more of a correlation from the medication and just your body body balancing it out or was it more from restriction and being in a place where it, it wasn't necessarily in balance with your body's natural weight and composition
1: I think it was I think it was a little bit of I think part of it was the medication mm-hmm. um was balancing out but then I think that part of it is one of the things that I notice when I do a lot of yoga is that I just tend to eat cleaner Mm-hmm. Right. Like my body craves more grains. My body doesn't crave as much cheese. Um, and during that time, I really feel like it was a great exploration of, of showing like what eating a balanced diet looks like mm-hmm. without restriction. Mm. So I was still eating a healthy amount for the amount that I was exercising, but I was making choices that felt better at the time to fuel me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? yeah. 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 I, I think it's so interesting um, hearing you say that and also just our relationship with food, um, you know, it goes hand in hand with our relationship with our bodies. And I think it's right. also so interesting to have this conversation, especially going through early 20s, mid-20s, young adulthood, trying to navigate all of this um, right. and also figure out, okay, what works for my body? You know, what makes me feel good? And for some of us, it takes a long time to get there, like a long, 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 long time. But, um, you know, it's great that you were able to have that experience of, okay, what makes me feel? thrive versus holding me back versus bringing me down and and all of these things and really balancing it out with happiness like you've described and joy and and all of those other equally important components in the circle
1: right and I think that a big part of it too is um, not only food consumption but alcohol consumption mm-hmm. like in most most folks in their early 20s know how to drink right like I don't know what you're talking about. But... <laughs> but you turn 21 and you're like, oh, let's go get cocktails, right? And I happened to work in a restaurant that was right below a really fantastic bar with craft cocktails where um, we knew all the bartenders, mm-hmm. right? Which meant that they got free breakfast and we got free drinks. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a very fun setup. That,
0: that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like they would come over for their hangover breakfast and then we would get off work and go up there, you know.
0: I love it. What a fun story.
1: <laughs> yeah. But um but during like if you're doing a yoga teacher training and if you're really committing to to taking care of yourself, at least for me in like that mental space for me, mm-hmm. then I don't want to go into that hungover. Yeah. I remember going to yoga teacher training hungover one day and I was like, I smell like tequila and this is disgusting. Yeah. Like like I'm sweating tequila. Yeah. That's not a good look for anyone.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember being in a yoga class one time and I was practicing next to a friend and at the end of class she looked over and she said, did you have something to drink last night? And I had had a lot of wine the night before. And I said, Yes. Why and she said, you smell like a college campus because <laughs> yeah. right. your body just sweats it out. Yeah, it sweats out all that alcohol. Um, absolutely,
1: thank god it does. I know time, like, that's not how you want to go through
0: exactly a
1: 200 hour, you know, it's, it's
0: pretty miserable. Day. Yeah, right. <laughs> so do you teach yoga now?
1: I do not, at least not currently. I'll, I've, I've played with the idea recently of going and picking up a class somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, um, so I, I feel like I keep telling you about all these health issues and they're not done yet. My health is even more complicated than this, but last year, I spent a lot of the year unwell, and, um, Now I'm finally in a place where my body is like working well and functioning properly and I can do yoga regularly. And so I'm starting to get into a regular practice again. Um, And so I'm not sure if I'll end up teaching. I have a feeling I will. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about this past year and and some of the things that you went through?
1: Absolutely. So I'm, so I did my, I'll, I'll just do a quick fast forward through my last couple of years. So that way you all understand like how I got where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated from yoga teacher training and I was still working in this restaurant and I was like, I know that I'm not living up to my potential and that is challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Like I do not want to be a waitress for the rest of my life because it's not gonna, I'm not going to thrive that way, you know? Um, and so I started something called the Boss Babes Brunch Club, which is how we met. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it was a social networking group for female entrepreneurs and cr- creatives. And initially I started it out as um, I wanted to have like invited 20 girlfriends over to my house and said, hey, let's all have brunch. We're going to have a keynote speaker and let's support each other through um, our entrepreneurial journeys, you know. And I wanted to do a, I wanted to do it quarterly. So it was going to be four events a year.
0: Were you an entrepreneur as well? Did you have your own business?
1: I was, I was like selling art prints and teaching yoga. Okay. You know, cool. Um, so like ish Yeah. and I'm blogging. I've had numerous blogs over my lifetime. Yeah. Um, and so, but I kept, I, people kept being like, Hey, do you know a good photographer? Hey, do you know this? Hey, do you know that? And I'd be like, well, yeah, why don't you just reach out to Kim? Or why don't you just reach out to Emily? And they'd be like, who's Kim and Emily? And it's like, how do you not know them? Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, oh, it's my responsibility to start introducing these people. Um, so Boss Babes Brunch Club very quickly got a lot of momentum. And I ended up running it. I ended up running events for a total of about years. And we hosted over 50 events.
0: How many years? Two. Two years.
1: Yes. Um, and we hosted over 50 events during that time wow. instead of the original eight events I was projecting.
0: Was it you and someone else who started this? It
1: was me and a woman named, uh, Brandy Daniels. Okay. And so, um, what happened was I kind of had the idea and started it and then she kind of came in as my wing woman. Cool. Right. Um, during that time I also got a job as a copywriter for an Amazon, um, agency, nice. basically, which was super fun. And then after about two years there, I was feeling really burnt out with Fox Babes. I was like, I'm working a full-time 40-hour-a-week salary job mm-hmm. while also running 50 events a, or 50 events in two years, 25 events a year. Like, holy cow, I just want to lay on the floor and do nothing <sighs> And so I had, um, put together a proposal for my bosses saying that I needed a promotion. And I was like, this is what I'm doing for your company. And this is what my job description is. And these are not lining up. And when I look at the, um, the market, what I should actually be doing is I should be your associate creative director.
0: Mm. This is the Amazon, right?
1: It's not Amazon itself. It's a company that represents other products on Amazon.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Or other companies on Amazon. So you would send us your inventory. We would do all of your listings. Mm -hmm. We would manage all the distribution.
0: Got it. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so I was like, hey, I need to be your associate creative director. And they were like, yes. And I was like, that worked. And so they promised that to me for about six months. And then right before my 29th birthday, they said, hey, sorry. Actually, no, it wasn't my 29th. It was my 28th birthday, maybe. I just turned 30. Yeah, 28th birthday. Um, They were like, hey, sorry, we know we've been promising this to you for six months. But because we were acquired, we don't have any budget for this. There's no room to grow in the company, in the creative field. You can stick with your current position, but there's no growth for you. Wow. Right. And I just like had a complete breakdown, like lost my shit. Um, I think I actually had a panic attack. Actually, I know I had a panic attack during that meeting with my bosses because I had ended Boss Babes because I was promised this position. (gasps)
0: Oh my gosh! So you, cu- I didn't realize you cut that off.
1: Yeah. So I cut completely. off completely. Yeah. Company yes. For this really phen- phenomenal opportunity, right. right? To become an associate creative director. Um, I also had just put tied up so much of my own identity into that career, right? You know, and um, then the, it was just like all gone within an hour meeting and I was devastated. Um, and so then I ended up getting within like, gosh, it was like a week before my birthday that they did all that.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. It was, it was terrible.
0: (laughs) That's insane. Um,
1: And then within a few weeks I had a new job and so,
0: were you applying, or did someone reach out to you? What was the trajectory with that?
1: Um, somebody reached out to me. Um, so it was a woman that I initially met through Boss Babes, and I had started telling—that's um, the tra- oh, there's the—I t- <laughs> had started telling people in my community, like, "Hey, I have to get out of this company. This is—I need a new job. I don't really care what it is. It can be temporary. I just need to—I need to get out of here."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and um, she texted me on a Friday and was like, hey, rumor has it you're looking for a new job. Do you want to get coffee tomorrow? And I can tell you about a position in our company. And I was like, yes, I do. And so I met her with uh, met with her for coffee on Saturday. On Sunday, I spent all day editing my resume. On Monday, I had an interview with her bosses, with the CEO and COO. And on Tuesday, I was hired. Wow. And on Wednesday, I started.
0: Wow. That's yeah. insane. So when you were putting out the word, were you- Because I think this is a really great conversation because this happens to a lot of women and a lot of men too, just a lot of people at this, at different points in their careers. So what were you saying specifically in that passive networking sense? Were you actually saying, this is what I do. This is what I'm looking for. Did like, how did, how did she know to put the pieces together that she could offer you a position or at least have a conversation about a position like that with you?
1: I think it's twofold. Um, number one is that I have a lot of different skills. I ran a networking business for years. I planned events for years. I have a background in education and educational theory. I'm a writer. I was a copywriter for years, right? So I have, I'm, all of these different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a little bit of background in like social media marketing. And a bunch of other random things that I've learned through my friends and networks. And I do art and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, And the position I got hired for was an account manager position for a software company. And I'm actually still with that company. And um, I remember going to her and being like, this is, this is my career. This has been my career path so far. And while I'm not necessarily meeting I have zero experience in software Mm -hmm. and I have never been an account manager. Mm -hmm. But when you actually break down the skills that you need for these things, I have all of them. Yeah. And further, I'm a fast learner and you all need someone quick and I'm here. I love that. Yeah. So, um,
0: I love that. Yeah. Because it just, it shows that you were forward thinking, you were thinking outside of the box, which is so important, especially if you're stuck in a position that you don't, that you know, just isn't working for you. And you're scared of taking that leap of looking outside of it. It's such a testament that it's not necessarily the job description that's going to d- determine whether or not you actually fit into that role. It's really your skills overall, as well as your ability to think creatively and learn quickly, and your personality for the position too.
1: And I think another factor with um, regarding the reason why I got hired so quickly, is one of the things that I do with all my resumes is I don't necessarily just hand them a resume. I hand them essentially a marketing packet on myself.
0: Love that.
1: So you have, you do your cover page and that means that you're branded to the job that you're applying to,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: Then you have your cover letter, then you have your resume, then you have your references. And then I gave three case studies of this was the problem. This is how I solved it. And this was the, like, these were the results, right? So I provided case studies so they can see how my brain is working and what results I'm getting. It was essentially like the scientific method, but for business, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then when I handed these packets to my now bosses, they didn't have any other questions to ask me because they were already answered, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that was really effective in this, Particular case.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's incredible that you did that. And I think it's so inspiring because that story is going to speak to so many women who are listening to this who are ready to do something like that. Absolutely. And it's if you are the type of woman who is creatively fueled and does well with that type of strategy, that's a great way to get your foot in the door somewhere and pursue an interview process and things. But I also want to caveat that with you don't have to hear this story and think that that's the only way to do it too. Because the one thing that I love about you is that you you just show up like you're an action taker and you really lead by conversation and like we were saying at the very beginning before we even started recording it's just just reaching out can go so far so yes it's nice to put together a packet yes it's nice to have all these case studies and things like that of course but like let's talk about that because you are an action taker and you really have a fantastic art of conversation and reach out and, and so many of those skills.
1: Um, so I, I do want to touch on one thing though, like for any person who is working on their resume, put metrics in it. That's, that's what I've got. If you have actual numbers that people can see, yeah, make sure that you're throwing those in there because it is showing that you're getting tangible results that are measurable. It's right?
0: true. Yeah. Um, just in the bullet points of the description yeah. of your role. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know if you know this about me. I used to be a recruiter. No, I didn't know that. But, <laughs> so um, I'm all about the resume. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I have edited so many friends' resumes. Yeah. And like, oh, well, I did this for this group of people. And I was like, okay, but like, how do we dial that in? So mm. that way, it's more of a glance that people can see. So yeah. If you're looking for new jobs, make sure you're including metrics if you're including a case study great if not put it in your actual resume okay i will get off my soapbox
0: no it's it, thank you for saying that it's powerful
1: um but in regards to reaching out and communicating with people um honestly what's the worst thing that could happen they say no mhm you know that's that's kind of where i'm at with like, if I want something and I don't ask for it, then I'm never going to get it. If I want something and I ask for it, I might get it, you know? And sometimes you have to be strategic and and think of, like, okay, well, when should I reach out, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: but, yeah, you, you just got to do it. It's, um... Yeah. It's also... It's kind of like if you, um... What's, i was I was just thinking of a really great example of this. I was talking to my my best friend last night on my drive home from work. and um, you kind of just have to rip the band-aid off,
0: yeah. Like, it is like cliff jumping. You know, you kind of hold your breath when you reach out to somebody who you've yeah. never never met before because there's that rejection possibility.
1: there's yeah, and but like if they reject you, then
0: what's the worst that can happen? <laughs>
1: Well, well, what's the worst that can happen? But also, it's probably not you that they're rejecting, but really it's either the work that they have to put into it that maybe they don't have the bandwidth for, or it's the, um, the concept of what you're asking for.
0: Absolutely. So it's
1: not you. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting the project.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, as women especially, I think – you know, I used to get really sensitive about hearing no from people that I would reach out to and just feeling a little wounded, you know, like I have my tail between the legs. And I've really done a lot of mindset work on that where if I get a no from somebody, I actually thank them because I would so much rather, especially another woman, say, no, I'm not the person or I don't have the time versus overcompensating where they can actually come in and show up and essentially people-pleasing and just saying yes to appease me if they just don't have the time or it's not the right fit or whatnot. I just think that we need more no's as women. And so every time I get one now, I kind of celebrate it and realize that it's not a closed door. It's actually just um, like a comma in a conversation that could continue later on.
1: Um. So... I remember when I was doing my first public Boss Babes French Club event. And there is a woman in our community, her name is Julie Ellis, and she um, owns a company called Raise Case, which is like these fine leather bags, right? And I had um, admired her for quite some time and stalked her on Instagram all the time and was like, um, I was really hoping that she would come and be our keynote speaker. And I remember emailing her and asking her if she would come speak. And she was like, no, I don't think I'm going to. Um, But you could tell there was like a little bit of hesitancy in that answer, you know. Um, And so I emailed her back and I said, okay, thank you so much for responding. In case you change your mind, this is what it would look like for you. You know, this is, these are the types of things that I would expect you to cover this is what the audience would be like. This is what the environment would be like. And she ended up changing her mind because it wasn't as fearful. Like she, it wasn't as scary for her mm-hmm. anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that was like such a, a beautiful comma in that conversation mm-hmm. simply because she needed more information and I presented it in a non, um, aggressive way, Yeah, you know, but the other component that I think is really beautiful, um, and, and pertinent to this conversation that we're having right now is that she started her discussion during that presentation um, with one of my favorite quotes that has stuck with me ever since. And I first heard it through her and it says, you have to have a strong no in order to have a powerful yes.
0: Mm. And so good.
1: That so, so, so many times in my, um, in my life since then. And it has really helped me to set boundaries for myself and for others and how I let them come into my life um, and impact my life. Yes. But also in regards to my bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we were to rewind a little bit in our conversation, you were asking me about some of the health challenges that I had last year. And um, last February, so a year actually, Um, It was a year from today, February 13th. How ironic and synchronistic.
0: Wow. Um, That is.
1: Yeah. I was getting all sorts of really severe and sharp and terrible pains in my left breast. And um, it took a couple months, but during that time, the doctors thought that I'm first they were like, you might have breast cancer. We don't know.
0: Oh my gosh. We're
1: not sure. Um, and then it ended up that I did not have breast cancer. They're still not 100% sure what it was, but, um, the, the hypothesis is that it is a granulomatous mastitis, which is for anyone who, um, is a mama or familiar with breastfeeding, like if you get a breast infection,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: was like that, except for it would not go away. It's another autoimmune disease. And um, there, the way that they got rid of it, I was on, I think I was on nine different rounds of antibiotics and it just kept getting progressively worse. Um, but I ended up having surgery. Wow. And so... I ended up having surgery, but then after that surgery, it was a, it it was a really fantastic and and challenging time all at once because, um, during, I, I met my now partner and boyfriend on April 1st and I had surgery on April 5th. Wow. And when I had surgery, they had told me the, like on the day that I met him, I had gone to the doctor's and um, or a few days before i met him i'd gone to the doctors and they were like hey we think you're good this should be your last round of antibiotics we think it's all figured out but we need to look at this biopsy one more time just to make sure and so then i like literally went to a coffee shop and i was like "Ooh, i'm healthy i'm strong i'm gonna get on hinge i'm gonna go on dates i'm ready to date again and so i ended up swiping matched with colin we had a date a few days later, and then I got a call from the doctors that was like, hey, we were wrong. You're not healthy and well. You actually might need surgery, so you need to come in on Thursday, and we'll let you know. Wow. And so I went on on Thursday. One of my best girlfriends drove me to the appointment, and they were like, yeah, you need to have surgery right now. And so I like texted her and I was like, hey, looks like I'm going into the operation room right now. This is going to take longer than expected. And I'm going to be very out of it when I see you next. And so. Um,
0: oh, my I, gosh, I, I that's know. insane.
1: I know. Uh, my, like I told you, my health is very complicated. And I feel like within this conversation, it's kind of jumped all over the place. So I apologize. For
0: no, that. no, it's OK.
1: Um, But throughout that recovery, that meant from February through September, I was having issues with my left breast, which then translated into chronic fatigue, right? And so I was just exhausted all of the time. My body was struggling against two autoimmune diseases and a pituitary tumor and chronic hives um, which chronic hives also, they often come back when you're stressed. So it's the hardest time because it's just another symptom of stress that's causing you more stress.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: You know, um, and so it was also kind of bringing it back to the conversation of body images. This past year has been really interesting because this is like certainly the heaviest that I've ever been. And, I know that that your listeners can't see me right now, and um, for for reference, like I'm, I think I'm five one and maybe 140 pounds, and honestly, like I'm a pretty fit person, you know. But the because I've never been at this weight or had this softness in my body, right? Like I've never had such um, such rolls in my belly if I slouch over, you know, or like there hasn't ever been so much cellulite on my ass. It's been really a challenging year in regards to that sense, mm-hmm. but it's been balanced really beautifully because I'm also with a partner who is finally a really fantastic human who is super supportive of me and is like... I remember I told him I lost weight and he was like, Oh yeah, I didn't notice. I just, you just look, you always look beautiful. And I was like, that is a very sweet answer, but also not what I was looking for right now. You know what I mean? And then like when I actually thought about it, I was like, no, that is actually the, the correct answer. Like yeah. that is exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and I've also done a couple really cool photo shoots with some of my um, photographer friends that are kind of, They're based on um, empowering women in their bodies. And some of the most beautiful photos that came out of them were things like the cellulite on my ass or the rolls in my stomach and like those really soft curves. And so I've been able to reframe my ideology around body image. So it's not necessarily of do my abs look strong. is my body functioning properly and also how beautiful are these curves?
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: like my body was built this way. My body gains weight in these areas because it's designed to,
0: Mm -hmm. you
1: know, and if I, if you were to be able to see every rib when in my, and all my obliques and all my abs, like my body doesn't crave that anymore. Yeah you know, especially as I've gotten older, my body has, um, like the way that it holds weight is so different. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's simply because my exercise and diet has changed. I think it's like the way that my body itself has changed and matured. And I'm finding there to be a lot of beauty in that.
0: I love that so much, Alicia. And I, I just have to say, one of the things that I appreciate about you so much and sharing that is you really have this seem to have, from what I can interpret, you seem to have this relationship with your body like an artist, because you are an artist. And it is this this love and this appreciation for it that is really you know, beyond aesthetics and, and more functional as well as beauty and right. empowerment and all of these things that you really just exude very naturally. And I, you know, I just really, I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing all of that. And I hope that this gives other women permission to love their curves and also just the evolvement of our bodies as well too, right. because, it changes like our bodies are meant to change. And if we can really step out of that control and -hmm. allow them to evolve the way that they're supposed to throughout life and, and realize that there is not necessarily one linear way that your body is going to, to morph through life, then that can be so incredibly freeing and very beautiful.
1: Well, and also it's not morphing in those ways because it's not meant to morph in those ways. Right. Like, um, one of the things that I have, I I should follow up on is that when I was so between 22 and 27, they told me that I was infertile. And then when I was 27, I got a new doctor and she was like, your old doctor was an idiot. You can have babies.
0: Oh my so gosh. Yeah. So that
1: was like a complete mindset shift wow. for me again. Right. But I think that because of that, As, like, for example, like, your hips start to widen as you get older because, Mm -hmm. like, that's what happens naturally. Yeah. I know that I want to be a mother someday, not today, but someday, and um, I know that it's happening because of that, Mm -hmm. and that is, like, going back to that functionality of my body. While simultaneously being an artist, I've always loved body composition and, in human expression mm-hmm. and like I remember looking at an old lady in the sauna at 24 hour fitness once and just being like wow like her wrinkles are so cool yeah you know? and now as I get older maybe I look at my wrinkles and like I've got I have pretty deep wrinkles between my brows and part of it is because I've dealt with a lot of stress and trauma mm-hmm. but part of it is just getting older mm-hmm. and so like yeah, I could get Botox, but is that worth possibly messing up body functionality, which I've gained so hard to get? And also they're wrinkles, like that's it, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like they, they help to tell your story.
0: They help to tell uh-huh. your story. And I think one of the things that is, you know, so beautiful about your story too, is you found a partner and a, a community, a circle of friends where this type of conversation, this um, one size fits all of, of a body, it doesn't seem to exist and that's been very intentional, it seems yeah. like. Where well, you it
1: doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not we're not all the same.
0: Exactly. But I think that it's so easy to fall into these social social circles where it's hard to imagine a life without one one way to be or to feel accepted outside of that, that specific way. And so I just want to um, just honor the fact that you have made that intention to surround yourself with a community of women that really celebrates body diversity and, you know, broadens the conversation with that and a partner who, who also um, shows that appreciation and you've, you've chose that for yourself, which is so incredibly powerful because it is a choice who we surround ourselves with and the type of community that we build for ourselves especially as females
1: right right and it's um i was having this conversation the other day and it's really i feel like within the past year my decisions have become more clear because I have been challenged with things such as not being sure if I had breast cancer for X amount of months. Right. And so then my values really got shifted into place. And so then I was able to step into my own power, see what my values were and make decisions based on that. And, um, that helped me become a lot more grounded. Mm -hmm. And I will also say, this is, uh, this is just me being realistic, right. Is that while I think that I have a really good relationship with my body overall, um, and it's been a constant work in progress, you know, and I know that relationship will continue to grow and change over time. Like I'm still vain. I still care what my hair looks like. Sure. I still get insecure if I have a giant pimple on my nose. And like, these are things that everyone can still, um, like you can still have vanity and confidence
0: mm-hmm.
1: and be grounded in your body and you don't have to look perfect all the time. And they can all go hand in hand. It doesn't have to be a, you have perfect bo- body um, image. You have a perfect relationship with food. You're really confident at work. You have a great relation. Like it's all an ebb and a flow and it's going to continue to be that way forever.
0: Yeah. And
1: once you kind of, grasp that concept that you don't get to control everything all the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, then your life is going to be a lot easier. Like I, I often joke that growing up, my dad used to,
0: um, Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> growing up, my dad used to joke that I was born to be type A. Like I've got type A, uh, I, type A plus because I have type A positive blood. I was born on my due date. Like I was born to be (laughs) an A plus personality, not even type A, type A plus. And like, I'm, I joke that I'm consistently striving to be a type B plus now,
0: Mm. like
1: to let go a little bit of that control and let things just happen.
0: Amen. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you so much for, coming on and sharing and just being so real and honest and um sharing your truth with everyone it really is just it's been so great getting to know you even more than I already know you before we we go I have a couple of fun questions that I just want to run through is that cool okay, yeah sweet so this is our girl talk section um what does your morning routine look like
1: um it kind of depends on the day um so i work from the office three days a week and i work from home two days a week and so on the days that i work from the office i have to be on the train at seven forty four to take the train um so before that it either looks one of three ways number one is i go to a yoga class and then get ready at the yoga studio and hop on the train um Number two is I meet one of my girlfriends, our mutual friend, Katie, mm-hmm. um, for coffee at a local coffee shop. We have been meeting almost every Tuesday since 2016. Mm, love um, that. And so that's like part of my morning routine. Or I will sleep in a little bit, wake up at home, um, make myself a latte, and just like sit with my boyfriend on the couch for a little bit and hang out and, have my cat meow at me, you know, things like that. Um, So I like slower mornings
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where I kind of get to take my time before jumping into my work day, because I think that it's really valuable to, and specifically learning this from that previous job, is to not have your full identity be based on your work, Mm
0: -hmm. which means that
1: I want to start my day without my work and I want to end it without my work.
0: Love that. So much. <laughs> yes.
1: It's, it's a challenge sometimes, but it's a good one.
0: It's such a necessary component, though. I couldn't agree more. If you were going to switch careers with guaranteed success and joy, what would you do?
1: Oh, shit. Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is my favorite question to ask.
1: I think that this is challenging for me because it... I have a lot of different passions. Um, It would probably look like something along the lines of, I would be a writer who does public speaking engagements and educational seminars while also creating art.
0: I could totally see you doing that.
1: I've done bits and pieces of all of those things. And so then it would have to simply be putting them together.
0: Well, I know. Well, now now it's recorded, so who knows how I it will. We're in a couple places too. <laughs> it's like on the back
1: end of a website. I'm,
0: I'm helping you, know. you manifest this. That's awesome. Um, how do you define self care?
1: Um, I think that self care is a really interesting conversation topic because currently in our. Um, in our society, self-care is often framed as doing face masks, getting a massage, having alone time, things like that. But I think that there's a really um, complex dynamic of classism and privilege within that Mm -hmm. as well, right? And that's not something that's often discussed. Mm -hmm. And so for me, self-care often can look like those things. It can look like maybe getting a massage or taking a bath and reading a book or um, going and walking to the beach and walking, watching sunset because I have the privilege and time to do all of those things, right? Um, or maybe it's going to a yoga class because I have a yoga membership, right? And I have the assets and resources in order to do that. But I think it's also like if, if I was a single mother working two jobs, when would that be built into my schedule? Like if I wanted to go to a yoga class, that would also mean that I need to find a caregiver for my child, right? And then that means that I would have to pay for not only the yoga class, but also for the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes a really complex issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to remember that self-care can also be a mindset. And so it is taking advantage of those small minutes and small um, little bits of freedom that you have throughout your day and reframing them to focus on how you are, where you are, and how you can better your own kind of mental state, right? Yeah. So maybe it's waiting in line at the coffee shop and closing your eyes and just taking three deep breaths like that's something that's accessible to everyone totally right? um except for maybe not at the coffee shop maybe you're at the metro station or maybe you are getting groceries you know like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll go to the grocery store and I'll keep my headphones in with nothing playing just because I don't want people to talk to me but I also need to run an
0: errand yeah you know? mm-hmm. Things like that. yeah I love love that you said that and I I couldn't agree more What's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear?
1: Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> um, can I name a few?
0: <laughs> sure, go for it.
1: One of the things that I think that is really dangerous is body modification, mm-hmm. and that can really be perceived as a wellness trend. So, for example, lip injections or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not that. Seems to just cause so many body image issues that like
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like kind of think that if somebody is going to do body modification, um, even if it's if it's like a boob job, right? Like I kind of feel like you should have to go to therapy first. Um, but that's just me. Um, what are other wellness trends that I think? I wish that fad diets were not a thing like you were saying when people weren't eating gluten because it was a fad diet like that pissed me off so much I was like go eat a croissant go eat a really great tortilla Mm -hmm. please do it for me Mm -hmm. you know like don't limit yourself do everything in moderation including moderation you know
0: yeah absolutely do you have a signature dinner party dish? So if you're invited to a dinner party or throwing one, do you have something that you just like whip up always?
1: No, I love cooking.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so I'm actually getting better at following recipes, but um, I love, love, love trying new, new, new recipes. So it's normally something new. Awesome. And if I mess it up, then other people still tend to like it, which is nice. Cool. Um, But I recently had a couple friends over for dinner, and I made a really big salad, um, and I made mashed potatoes and a French chicken with a white wine and cream sauce. Ooh. Yeah. Like, I like to cook. Oh,
0: girl. I love that.
1: Um, And then I made a uh, berry crumble, a fresh berry crumble for dessert. Oh, my
0: gosh. Sounds like my dream dinner. Yeah, it was. That's awesome. I love that. I want to try some of your your dishes then. Um, What's one book or resource that's changed your relationship with food or your body?
1: Oh, um, I'm a pretty big fan of Whole30, um, at least conceptually.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And part of that conceptualism is that it's only meant to be done for 30 days, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's meant as like a reset but because I'm also a fan of everything of in moderation, kind of including moderation, um, I tend to, like in January, what I did was I did whole 30 to the best of my abilities, except for it was a, if it was a special event, then I would let myself cheat or cheat is such a, I don't like that term, but you know what I mean. Um, or if it was if we were like going out to dinner I would simply make conscious decisions even if they didn't fully align with the guidelines, right like if we went out to dinner and I really wanted a glass of wine I would have a glass of wine that's not that big of a deal to me but it really helps me um, it, it kind of just helps me realign with my values in regards to how I'm fueling my body mm-hmm. And so I tend to do that. Maybe twice a year, and I've also noticed that it's really fantastic because I have so many health issues that things like maybe um, my body just starts functioning a little bit better.
0: Mm -hmm. What's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend?
1: Ooh, um, I would definitely recommend The Morning
0: Show. Oh, I love that show. I think it's yeah. the best series I, I, ever. I don't know. <laughs> Not ever. I love that I, show, though. I, I thought I it was really fantastic. That show.
1: If you liked that, you also like The Newsroom.
0: Yes, I do love that the with Jeff Daniels. Yeah.
1: Um. So I would recommend both of those. Those are kind of the same genre. We also recently watched, Um. oh my gosh,
0: Succession. Yes, um, that was really good. So um, good. Okay, we're definitely on the same page with pop culture. I will also
1: <laughs> fully admit, though, that Colin got me to watch um, 90 Day Fiance recently, and oh. I was like, we need to watch more. Like, I it's
0: so good. I it's, it's I haven't. So bad and also it's, so good. it's awful. I used to watch it all the time before we got rid of our cable, and I could probably still watch it. On is it on? I mean? have no idea. I don't know. Anyways, it's excellent and kind of like watching a train wreck and so many different cultural dichotomies going on. Right. So, right. It's really it's so a, interesting.
1: It's a really fascinating analysis on human relationships.
0: Totally. Oh my god. Totally. Totally. Um this is fantastic. You are amazing. And there are so many other things that I want to talk with you about. So we'll definitely have to have you back on. But in the meantime, um, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was. I love, I love this conversation. Where can everybody connect with you?
1: Um, you can connect with me either on Instagram. It is alisha.ochoa. I'm sure that you'll link this. But it is alisha.ochoa. And then I will be launching a new website soon called thehoneyshineproject.com. Love. I, I told you, things are in the works on the back end of web development.
0: Amazing. Okay, well, we'll link all of that so that everybody can get in touch and follow your inspiration and light that you're putting out into the world. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: just slide into my DMs, folks. <laughs> great. That's what... Um, Actually, I think what it, one of the nice things that I think we should mention about how this kind of conversation came to be is that we have met, I think, one time in person. We follow each other on Instagram. We DM each other all the time. And then we decided we should actually be real-life friends as well. And so that's how this recording and conversation came
0: Yeah.
1: Up. Um so slide into my
0: dms yeah Yeah. well now i'm just going to come over for dinner and yeah absolutely and hang out on the couch and watch 90 day Day fiance yeah you can hang out with my cat she's
1: pretty
0: great yeah i mean it really is like it's such a testament to the power of social media and these amazing relationships that can be cultivated from it and just you know a reminder girls to step into your your courage step into your power like show up and ask questions say hi to people reach out it really is so powerful when we can all connect this way um Absolutely. and just build these really strong female relationships cool. all right
1: well i think our podcast is is very long now so we will <laughs> let you all go and maybe you're grocery shopping like i normally do when i listen to podcasts
0: and we'll
1: talk soon
0: all right bye, bye. Our producer Matt Iski, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.